May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. That long passage from Acts chapter 10 presents us with two different men, each hungering for something, each having a vision that comes with divine instructions. Cornelius is a devout Roman centurion. He's one of the good ones who hungers to know God more closely. And in prayer, he has had a vision that answers the desire of his heart telling him where to find the Apostle Peter, and so he sends his servants to go and come back with the man himself. And Peter, while waiting for his lunch, is praying on the rooftop of the house where he is staying, and he has his own vision, unaware of Cornelius' arriving messengers. Now, Peter is hungry too, first, of course, for lunch, but also seeking to obey the mission that Christ has commissioned him to fill establishing the church throughout the world. And in answer to his prayer, the Holy Spirit speaks to Peter. He sees what looks like a massive sheet coming down out of heaven, down to the earth, and hears a voice from heaven telling him to rise and slaughter all the animals that he sees in that sheet, to eat them. But Peter refuses because among the animals, what he sees are clean and unclean things all together in one place. Now, we know that keeping kosher, maintaining food purity, was a way that the Israelites distinguished themselves from other nations. There's a long list of animals that faithful Jews just did not and still do not eat. When we go all the way back to Deuteronomy in chapter 14, where God is instructing Israel in the law that they are to keep, we hear some of those clean and unclean things. These are the animals that you may eat. Pay close attention and hear if you hear any good ones. The ox, the sheep, the goat, the deer, the gazelle, the roebuck, the wild goat, the ibex, the antelope, and the mountain sheep. It's a pretty good start. Every animal that parts the hoof and has the hoof cloven in two and chews the cud among the animals you may eat. Yet of those that chew the cud or have the hoof cloven, you shall not eat these. The camel, unfortunately, (laughs) the hare and the rock badger, because they chew the cud but do not part the hoof, are unclean for you. And the pig, because it parts the hoof but does not chew the cud, it is unclean for you. Their flesh you shall not eat, and their carcasses you shall not touch. Those of you who are great fans of eating rock badger, uh, must, it's a hard thing to hear. So the Lord goes on at some length, giving detailed instruction. These instructions that set Israel apart in the same way that worship of the one true God, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, who brought Israel up out of Egypt, and called them into a nation, set Israel apart. This is a distinctiveness that endures. And as a faithful Jew, Peter and his companions would have kept those laws. And these instructions about eating, what's good and what isn't, aren't just arbitrary. Just as you, as a parent, give instructions to your children, 
God is giving these directions to Israel to help his people live into their identity. They are to be a holy nation. The whole community was meant to be sanctified, and that process of sanctification starts with practices of eating. In the book of Leviticus, when the charge to be holy is given to the people of Israel, three out of the first four times it shows up, the immediate reference is to eating only these clean animals. So it's easy then to infer that holiness requires eating within the limits that God has set. You've all heard the phrase, you are what you eat. And being incapable of following God's instructions, not eating the stuff God tells you to, and in choosing instead to eat something else, is precisely, of course, the failure that led Adam and Eve to get kicked out of the Garden of Eden in the first place. So eating matters. And in his vision, Peter is given this heavenly instruction, do not call something that God has created unclean. All things are gifts from God. God is, of course, the ultimate divine source, and so all things are therefore clean. Peter's reaction is rooted in his lifelong faithfulness. He has always kept God's law. The vision repeats itself three times, and then his trance is interrupted by a knock at the door. This is, of course, a classic storytelling trope. Preachers do this too. Sometimes just to break things up as I see some of you falling into a less than holy trance. <laughs> so Cornelius's messengers come to the house with a request that Peter come and speak to the whole household of the centurion despite their unclean Gentile status. And having been told by God to follow, Peter does. Peter, who has been hungry, is now discovering that God himself also has a hunger, a desire to bring all people from all nations into a relationship with himself. And even though he is a Roman centurion, Cornelius is not a dangerous foreigner who Peter should fear will contaminate him with his Gentile habits. He is a faithful, prayerful man who longs to be brought into the community of faith, but is also aware of the distance between himself and God. Cornelius is therefore a kind of living contradiction. He is living in an old order, but preparing for the new one. He is faithful and prayerful, even though he cannot see how God will act on his behalf, and he does not know what God is going to do. He needs Peter to come and to help answer his prayer. So when they're brought together, Cornelius says this, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. Bright clothing is a dead giveaway. It's probably an angel. And said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore and ask for Simon, who's called Peter. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Cornelius has brought Peter into his home so that his whole house can hear from the apostle and act on whatever words he will share with them. And so now, Peter, the floor is yours. What will you answer these people who are so hungry for a word from the Lord? And in his speech, 
Peter gives us the words of a man coming to terms with God's divine revelation. This vision of the clean and unclean animals is somehow instantly clarified for him and thrown into stark relief. What is at issue, of course, is not food, but relationships with actual, real, live human beings. God is extending the mission of the gospel to all people and sending the church into the whole world. Peter is therefore not just imagining how delicious pork barbecue might taste, but he is trying to conceive of a world where it is possible to eat what he thought of as unclean animals and be in relationship with those he thought of as unclean people, but also be a disciple of Jesus Christ, the son of the Lord God Almighty. Have you ever tried a kind of food for the first time? A dish that you thought you would not like, only to discover that it was much better than you ever thought possible? Maybe when you were traveling in a foreign country? I want to testify this morning about my personal experience with the amazing dish known as Korean fried chicken, uh, which I've only had in America, but by God's grace, someday in the home country. So you've had fried chicken before, and it's fine. And it's only fine when compared to the perfection that our Korean brothers and sisters have brought to this dish. If you take the right blend of spices, they fry it twice, which is crucial. So the chicken wing just like shatters in your mouth like a piece of wonderful savory glass. And that's before we get to talk about soy, garlic, ginger wing sauce, which is just a a step above into the seventh heaven. You have had fried chicken but you have not had fried chicken this good. And it's a gateway drug in some ways to this incredible world of interesting food. In the same way that Peter's meeting with Cornelius opens a whole new world of ministry among the Gentiles. If you go and have Korean fried chicken, maybe you'll find you actually like Korean food, which you have not realized. This is something that happened to me. And so Peter meets with Cornelius and discovers that Gentiles are actually not the terrible people he's been led to believe, which leads to you and I being here this morning, because with rare exception, I think we're probably all not Jewish. Peter discovers that God is at work among people he thought of as totally unclean, and that while their food might taste different and their accents, accents might sound different to his ear, they have brought, been brought into new life by the same Lord Jesus Christ, who was his friend and now reigns above all. As Christians who live in an increasingly non-Christian world, our distinctiveness matters to us. Like ancient Israel, we have been called by God to new life and set apart for faithful holiness. But it is of vital importance that we never lose sight of the intention that God has in calling us to such commitment. It is not to create a community of the holy who stand above others in judgment, but instead to send a witness into the world to share the good news with everyone that we encounter. So we must not squelch the work of the Holy Spirit by pouring a bucket of cold water on whatever fire might be kindling, however small, in the hearts of those we meet when we hear about how God is working among them. Peter does this wisely. He doesn't ask Cornelius to submit to his authority or defer to his many years of service or wait for a later time when it might be possible for him to enter the home of a Gentile without judgment. 
Peter humbled himself. He made himself a servant to his neighbor so that Christ could be glorified through his service. So that the gospel might flourish and more and more people might be brought into the knowledge and love of the Lord. Because Jesus Christ has made it possible for everyone to be made acceptable before him. If they were willing to hear and obey his word and embrace the forgiveness of sins and the joyful new life that he calls them to. And even before that happens, they are clean in the sight of God and welcome in his family. In these times that we live in of intense division and antagonism, when people are divided from one another, the church is presented with an incredible opportunity to testify to the truth that God does indeed intend to call all people into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. The proclamation of that good news is a sacred responsibility that we have been given. Now, we often talk about theology, about our beliefs, as if they're a private matter just for us, for our own salvation. If you have the wrong beliefs, then only you will suffer the consequences. But we only need to glance at a newspaper or flip on the television news to see that when people believe the wrong things and act on those wrong beliefs, the suffering is rarely limited to just one lost soul. We have as a church to speak clearly about God's desire to see all people united under his lordship, as Peter did, and explicitly say out loud, repeatedly, that as disciples of Jesus, we are committed to doing all we can to eradicate the hateful poison of racism and the violence that comes with it. Understand, Peter and Cornelius could never have shared a meal together much less been united by worshiping the same God, but the love of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit does this, overcoming every division. This is gospel truth, and we can never forget it. And we must be on our guard against any accommodation to these demonic forces that corrupt and destroy God's creatures, even, and perhaps especially if we believe we're not at risk of falling into such sin. Because it is the silence of good people that lets sin take root in hearts and minds. And like Peter, we must not be silent. And we must testify to what has been revealed to us that all people of the earth are made of one blood and called to serve one Lord and that no one is unclean in the sight of God. And anyone opposed to such truth is not just on the wrong side of history, but is on the wrong side of God Almighty himself. God has shown no partiality and intends to unite all people under one banner and one Lord. His victory and his sovereignty are not in dispute. In fact, the only question is whether the church will be able to submit itself fully to God's will in this respect or if we are incapable of imitating Peter's example. Peter and Cornelius are two men from two different parts of the world, from two different races, sent to proclaim the gospel in their own communities in very different ways, brought together in love and service by the power of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. That power did not obliterate their differences, but place them in their proper context under the lordship of Jesus, 
whose grace and forgiveness makes every one of us clean before God. And it is that standard of faith, it is that measuring stick that we must hold to. Learning to live in this way takes time and attention, and it does not happen without the gift of the Holy Spirit. To be a community of believers that makes it possible for others to come in and join and to bask in the love of Jesus Christ doesn't happen overnight. But we seek to do it because Christ did it first for us. While we were yet sinners, he died for us. And he still welcomes us even now. On those days when we're feeling frustrated or lonely or self-righteous, Jesus does not tell us to get our attitude right and come back later. He doesn't tell us that our hearts are in the wrong places, although they may well be. Instead, he welcomes us as we are and reminds us that if we will sit long enough in his presence, we will become more like him and less like ourselves. And that transformation will be for our benefit. And that trust in God's goodness is what led Peter to meet with Cornelius and what sends the church out into the world even now. Because transformation is found when we are able to share the good news of the gospel with others. If we believe that scripture is true, if we believe that God has truly shown no partiality, then we must learn to do the same. Because Peter's vision and his speech to Cornelius' household make it clear that the hunger of God is all-consuming and for all people. Amen.